You're listening to the Lead On Podcast, where we discuss experiences in the armed forces while exploring lessons from military leaders. Hey, welcome to another edition of Lead On, Lessons from Military Leaders. I'm David Deary, president of the Listed Leadership Foundation. And joining me today is Travis Winfield. Travis is a retired Navy Command Senior Chief. He's also a member of the Enlisted Leadership Foundation Board of Directors. Travis, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, David. Thanks so much for having me, man. I'm so excited to be here, dude. This is exciting stuff. Yeah, it is. You know, I'm excited to do this with you. I've been looking forward to this podcast when we get to talk together. I've known you for, gosh, over 10 years. I think we we really met at a Legacy Academy some mm-hmm. years ago when you were on active duty, and I was on active duty. Right. When we were on, when I first met you, I was still like towards the tail end of my career. I was command, just kind of on command senior chief. And, you know, of course, I'm a big networker. But, yeah, you gave me an opportunity to help mentor and lead the Legacy Academy before I retired. It was one of the best experiences I ever had, which then led to me later on once I retired to go stalking you guys so I can become part of the organization. Yeah. And, and, and the value you, you bring, not just to the Enlisted Leadership Foundation, but the military community as a whole has something that's been a passion of yours for many years, even before I met you, as I've got to talk to you. So I'd like to talk about that, the value that you continue to give back, as well as why you even chose to mentor at the Legacy Academy, and explore a little bit of what you think the one critical component of leadership that maybe isn't touched upon that centers around security. Well, you know, David, obviously, when I first joined on my entire life, I've always just been passionate about service and mm-hmm. giving back and just being a humble servant. It's just something I've always been drawn to. And so when, you know, I got ex- back, obviously, when I got the opportunity to uh, work with you guys when I was still on active duty, that was just kind of a natural fit. But then now fast forward, since I've retired now, I've one of the fundamental things that I've learned since retirement, because you know, when you retire and you start a whole new, and of course, I've followed down the entrepreneur's path. So I've, you know, run a couple of different businesses. And the one fundamental thing that I've learned that I've just become a true passion of mine is just overall financial health of our military. It's almost like something that we are afraid to talk about because, quite frankly, most of our leaders in the military aren't very educated themselves. So it's become this kind of topic that we're afraid to talk about because we don't feel educated enough to talk about. So I'm literally going door to door to do just that. You know, which you talk about, or you mentioned how many times military leaders are afraid to talk about something. Maybe they're afraid to talk about it because they themselves are uncomfortable. But you know, let me ask you something, just kind of made me think about this. Have you ever encountered somebody who isn't afraid to talk about something that maybe they should be because they gave you some really bad leadership advice? Well, you know, that's an interesting thing because I think, first off, let me just say, I don't think there's such a thing as bad advice. I think it's advice that you maybe don't want to take. You can always learn from somebody, either what to do or what not to do. But I look at every interaction with anybody ever I'm ever with as something I can learn from. And so I think one of the biggest things is, is that I do have is that when you hear from somebody that does talk about a topic that maybe... They're just kind of faking it until they make it, and they're not really sure what they're putting out, or should I say use the term that we use in the Navy, proverbial sea lawyers out there. I think that's one of the hardest things when I interact with some leaders is that they just don't really do the due diligence of research before they're passing on maybe some advice that's not exactly accurate. 
And mm. it's easy for me to look at somebody and take that information in and kind of block and tackle and say, all right, that's, let me go check that out and realize that the information they put out was wrong. But that's me looking and doing the due diligence to research it. What about all those other sales that that leader put that information out that was maybe inaccurate? He was being a C lawyer mm -hmm. and they don't do that. And so now they take it for gospel just due to the position of that leader. Oh, so true. Wait, wait, is it Ronald Reagan that, that coined the phrase trust but verify, right? Absolutely. You know, you get it. You know you've, you've said many times, and this is a little bit off topic when you talk about empathy. Now, I've never walked in your shoes, so I don't, mm -hmm. I want to understand, but although understanding is not relating, right? I've not walked in Correct. your shoes. And so sometimes when somebody's speaking into our life, giving you that advice, they haven't walked in our shoes. And, you know, true too, and you probably, as a, as a senior list leader, we never get the full picture, right? Mm -hmm. We get part of it, and then we're trying to give advice or recommendations based on a limited amount of information. Now, it's Absolutely. really so important, so important to be transparent and to get the best information or the best advice from your leader. Mm -hmm. You really need to humble yourself and be transparent. So let's talk about you know, financial readiness and security and transparency. And so I'm going to ask you to be transparent today because mm -hmm. you weren't always as financially secure as you are right now no i you know people say that life is about the journey and you make mistakes along the way man i truly think i i have probably made every mistake you can make along my journey because i'm not that kind of guy that listened to somebody i can actually tell you a story that there was a warrant officer back in my first command on the uss ticonderoga back in 1992 and this warrant officer found a liking in me and he's like and he tried to give me advice like hey if you want to try to save you, it's trying to like, you need to invest your money. You need to sit there and maybe drop your taxes. That, you know, why give the government a free loan? So drop your exemptions down to like, you know, maybe two or three. So you're not paying into the government for a free loan. And you can keep that and redeploy them in investments. Back then, I did actually take it advice. But then when I had to pay a tax bill at the end of the year, I lost my mind. And I'll never do that mm -hmm. again. And but now fast forward gosh, almost 30 years later, I go, holy crap, that was some sound advice. I just didn't have the, he didn't, I didn't have the leadership or the mentorship to do follow-up training on how to really do it. I was just kind of blindly taking that one little piece of nugget and trying to execute it without understanding the long-term end game of investments. And that's why I'm so passionate now. And of course, I made every other mistake too. I racked up every credit card bill you can have, $40,000 worth of credit, you know, mm -hmm. having to get a consolidation loan to get out of it, working two jobs my entire career just to make ends meet. You yeah. know, I, I was a senior two petty officer in the Navy working at Best Buy. So I sold security systems. I did everything. Let me ask you, what is that long-term end game when we talk financial readiness? You, you are, are one of the people that we invite into the class to teach a very basic financial readiness class, but what's the end game? Why financial readiness? So I think it breaks down into a three pull and I'm obviously I'm going to make this a super, super quick reader's digest sure. version. So the three pillars of basic financial health, and I want to preface by saying this is just enough information to like get yourself in trouble. But the three basic mm -hmm. pillars are maintain good credit, invest money into a compound interest account, because the credit's like money in the bank because it's cheaper to borrow money if you need to borrow, but you have to understand the difference between good credit and bad credit. Right. Maintaining and investing. And I mean, that I cannot emphasize that enough, right? At least 15 to 25% of your income should be going into an investment where you pay yourself first. 
right? Mm -hmm. Because paying yourself first is the critical piece because if you're paying your bills, pay your bills, don't get me wrong, because that's how you keep good credit, but make sure you pay your investments first because that investment will make you money in the long run. And here's the crazy power of compound interest. If you just save $200 a month for 10 years and never put a dime in that, and that's about $23,000. If you just let that ride in a compound interest stock account, 401k, TSP, then at the end of, by the time you're 67, ready to retire, you will have roughly $2.6 million in the bank. And people don't grasp that. And then the last, p the last pillar is simply this, it's real estate. And that's because you have to live somewhere. It's one of the few assets that an appreciating asset. So invest in real estate. Those are the three basic pillars because we all have to have a place to live, need to invest and get good credit. Well, and Mark Twain says, buy land because you can't make more of it. You're um, right. And, and the one thing about compound interest that I think is critically important is the younger you are because of the thing called the rule of 72. So people can Google rule of 72. The young, you want that two point whatever million. You have to start while you're young, right? Mm -hmm. So Travis is talking when you're 18, 20, 22 years old, because you have that money in there working for you longer and it's building upon itself. Now, that's not to say when you're 40, 45, 50 years old, if you've never done it because you've, whether A, you never heard about it, B, cars were more important, C, raising kids costs a lot of money. I mean, life happens, we get it. But even just starting at 40, where you might end up with $500,000, $700,000, that's more than what you had. Absolutely. And the other thing with financial readiness, you know, having 2 million bucks is pretty nice, right? But what about having different lines of income, you know, wake up money, if you will, mm -hmm. you know, think well, about I call, it. I call you that and mailbox I are, money or passive income. A passive, I mean, you and I are both retired. So mm -hmm. the federal government gives us a check on the first of the month. Nope. If you, if you happen to be service connected disabled, there may be a financial aspect to that. We all pay into social security. I, for one, I believe social security will never go away politically. I just have faith in it. It may not mm -hmm. be as much as it was 15, 20 years ago, but sure. I think there'll be something, but that's, mm -hmm. that's income. You mentioned the thrift savings plan. Brad, Travis, let me, let me ask you, why don't you talk for a minute? Because one of my frustrating things with the blended retirement system, mm -hmm. which replaced the high three that you are under, you and I are under, that when we put money into our TSP, whatever money we put in is, is what we watched grow. Explain now with the blended retirement system and how that's so much different than the high three retirement system, specifically with thrift savings plan. Well, I mean, again, I'm definitely not the expert in the new model because this all came out after I retired. So I'm not as okay. educated as maybe I should, but I do understand the basic concepts is they're basically leveraging kind of a 401k concept. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, you, but you have to put, you decide how much money you're going to put in there, right? And you can take right. money out or put something in. So the challenge that I have with it is it's leaving it open to these guys to make these financial decisions for their long-term effect. And I think, unfortunately, I think a lot of them are saying, oh, they're thinking now and not 20, 30 years from now. So they're maybe not putting as much money into it as they could or should. <laughs> Exactly. So, and, and I'll just fill in a few holes real quick, if, if you don't mind. So sure. when we talk 401k, so a company 401k is a match, right? So a company will say, if you put in 5%, we will match 5%. And that's, so there's a maximum amount. You could put in 10%, the company will only match five. But if you choose to put in 2%, the company's traditionally, we only match two. 
So when you look at the thrift savings plan now under the Bundy retirement system, the federal government matches up to 5%. So if you give 5% and the federal government's 5%, if you read financial advice, they say where you would say, and I would agree with you, 15 to 25%, the norm is 10%. So under Bundy retirement system, if you're an E1 making $1,500 a month and you put 10% in, $150 a month, and then the government gives another five. Now you're at that 15%. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and I like to use the analogy, listen, in the military, when do we get our workouts in? Morning, mm-hmm. midday, or at the end of the day? Mm-hmm. And typically, it's in the morning. Because if you don't get it done right away, chances are you won't get it done. Exactly. And if you, look at any, if you look at any good budget plan, any financial plan, you tell me, Travis, when do you take that investment money? When do you take your savings money? We always have a tendency, human nature is to pull it when you need to. And the challenge yeah. with that is that we don't, again, we're thinking of the here and now, we're not thinking long term. And so mm-hmm. that causes a challenge sometimes with regards to they're pulling money out and it's not being used. So they'll like say, they'll have it in their TSP like, oh, I wanna, I wanna buy a new car and they'll pull a down payment out of there. But the, what they don't realize is that you're pulling it out of the market. When it's not in yeah. there making money in the market, it's doing you no good. And that actually happened to me. When I retired, I did some refinances and I pulled 50 grand out to pay off a vehicle. You know, again, I've made every mistake you can. And sure enough, I pulled it out the top of the market where the, the market was just really not doing good. So when I pulled my money out, it took me a long time to get it back in and make as much money had, it, had I kept that money still sitting in there. So it's these little nuances that we just don't have. A, I just don't believe we have enough education system for that blended retirement for it to be effective long term. My understanding is if you are effective with it, it can be good. But I think the education is going to be our biggest thing. And I think we're going to, quite frankly, deal with a lot of people that do not take care of their finances effectively. And when they're ready for retirement, they're not sitting there with kind of almost like a guaranteed paycheck like we get with the high three. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and you know, when you do take that money to put it in and to leave it, then right, you 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 build that, take that off the top. You don't do your budget and see what you got left over and then say, okay, no. it's what I left. I'll invest. You got to no. pay yourself. You take first. it off. The, right, and then you learn. Then you budget around that. And when you promote, you can add to it things of that nature. So you mentioned, you know, passive income and businesses. So so what do you do now? Now that you retired. Oh, gosh. Uh, what you always ask me is, what do I not do? It seems like. Man, that's true. So obviously, so I treat my life now kind of like I did in the military. I have my primary duty. My primary duty, if you will, is my real estate company. So I have a real estate company that I run here in Southern California called the Winfield Group. We are only serving, you know, our we, 99% of our business is serving veterans. So we specialize with serving veterans. Now, on top of that, I'm also a part owner in the brokerage of the real estate company called Century Residential. And we have actually created the first national military first real estate company in the country. So I'm an executive with that company. And of course, my collateral duty or my civic duty is of course, uh, donating my time and efforts to the Enlisted Leadership Foundation, which I just think is, that's my heartwarming giving back thing. And then my collateral duty, if you will, is if I didn't have enough to do, I bought a brewery in Marietta so called Inland World Brewing Company. And so I also have that. So if you want a beer, come out. And we still need to get you out there to have a beer with me. I still, yeah, I still got to get out there. <laughs> but you know what? It, and yeah, that's a lot of time. And you're a young man, you know, but you put all this energy in. And, and again, this is your way to build your future retirement 
whether you sell off the companies, whether you, they pay you out or you work less and continue to benefit from the revenue that it that, that comes in. And, and that model is, again, very similar to just investing, whether it's it is. through TSP, 401, company 401ks. Listen, I don't know too many people, honestly, that do their 20 plus years in the military and then don't continue working, whether mm -hmm. they can afford, you know, some maybe could afford, can afford to stop working, but I think it's it's in our nature to remain busy, to remain, remain productive. And, and mm -hmm. I'll tell you, you know, for those who have never heard of the Institute for Veterans and Military Family out of Syracuse University, that's an organization that Travis introduced me to mm -hmm. uh, three years ago, shortly after joining the Enlisted Leadership Foundation board, because as we continue to grow as a, as a nonprofit business, and Travis said, David, you should consider some of the programs, and they have specific programs for entrepreneurs. And, and then this weekend, I just returned from the Veterans Edge Conference, which you've mm -hmm. been to the first three, and this was the fourth. And I will tell you, for those out there listening, I was so blown away, not just by the number of veteran entrepreneurs, but how successful these mm -hmm. veteran entrepreneurs are. The average, there's 250 of us, and this is not me. I, so I say it's an average, right? So, you know, when you talk average, those up high bring everybody up, okay? Right. But, but, but the average revenue was over $2 million per company that, mm -hmm. that was there. I mean, there was companies veteran-owned businesses, owners that I'm meeting, making 20, 30, I, I don't want to use the word making, with revenues of 20, 30, 40 million dollars a year. Mm -hmm. I mean, imagine that. And, and many of these are like me and you, maybe learned something in the military, because several of them take their, took their skill sets that mm -hmm. they learned and supply chain, whatever, and then was able to take advantage of that. I met mm -hmm. one one young sailor, 16-year E6, a week ago yesterday, he went on terminal leave. He got out. 16 years. You know how many people probably said to him, he's crazy? But yet he owns a very successful coffee company in Georgia. And he, mm -hmm. he just, he had to get out because he's doing so. He's like you. So again, financial readiness. And you know, let me just and, touch and on that too, that fact that if, if, if you have even, if anybody's listening to this and you can have an inkling, look, entrepreneurship is not for everybody. Okay, there's a lot of risk that's involved with it. There's a lot of falling on your face involved with it. But I do say this, look, the average small business has an 80% failure rate. But you'll find that veteran entrepreneurs have a much higher success rate because one of the biggest issues that small businesses have is discipline to build processes. And guess what we do in the military every day? We are built around discipline and building processes and procedures. So it's a natural transition actually to get into entrepreneurship and building businesses. So if I, I just absolutely think that that program, all that can really incite, and by the way, they're free. <laughs> it's free, it's free, just a, it, it's great. So your best, just, well, we are pretty much out of time, but I, I like to close with the final question, Travis. Mm -hmm. As leaders, the higher up we go, we're making more decisions. It's, mm -hmm. it's expected of us to make decisions. Has there ever been a time that you made a really bad decision, but it had a positive outcome? So I, I say this one because it's still active and, and, I, and it was, if you were to talk to anybody, what do they always say? Never mix business and pleasure, right? <laughs> pleasure, yep. So I think one of my best, and if you were gonna use the industry norm as a mistake, was I okay. hired my son to join my business. Uh -oh. And, you know, a lot of outsiders like, uh, 
how's that going to work, you know, and all that. And I tell you what, it has been an absolute godsend with my business. We've actually become closer working together. So Mm. I think that's probably my, uh, and, and again, I don't call it a mistake. But if you were to talk a lot of people about how, you know, normally if you mix family and business that rarely, or friends and business, it rarely works out. And in this case, mm. it has turned into be an absolute fantastic mistake, if you want to call it, because our business has literally doubled since he's wow. joined the company. That's exciting. That's awesome, mm-hmm. Travis. So again, that's a great example of how a risky decision could have had a negative outcome. Probably many people told you it was not a good decision. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but you're stuck with it. Well, listen, Travis, I, again, I want to thank you. Thank you for your service, first and foremost. Thank you for being a friend. Thank you for all you do, giving back to the Enlisted Leadership Foundation. And thank you for being a small business owner that's benefiting the United States economy, as well as those military and veterans that you get to work with, both as real estate agents, as well as those whose homes you get to, to help buy and in some cases mm-hmm. sell. Well, David, it's an absolute pleasure, bro. I really do appreciate you as well, man. Uh, you know, you're, you're, this is why we're, we're obviously cut from the same cloth and a lot of things we do. And I just value our friendship and, and everything that we do. So just let's keep on kicking ass and taking names and keep paying it forward. Works for me. Once again, I'm David Deary. This has been Lead On, Lessons from Military Leaders, put on to you by the Enlisted Leadership Foundation. We are a nonprofit business with the sole goal of building America's leaders. Tune in next time when we drop on the 1st and the 15th military paydays of every month. Take care and lead on.